Hey, good morning, Victory. How you doing? Come on, put your hands together. Good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, uh, again, as Zoe and Brian have said, thank you. It's such an honor to have you here. I really would encourage you to fill out that connection information so that we can reach out to you and do our best to get you connected and moving in the right direction to find purpose and community. Uh, I want to give a couple of quick announcements before we get into the word. First of all, uh, we always talk about all that we're able to do in the community. And over the month of August, pay attention, we gave over two thousand diapers through Youth for Christ to teenage moms and dads. Come on, put your hands together for that. That's amazing. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we partner with mot- mot- multiple organizations, uh, ministry organizations, nonprofit organizations, and Youth for Christ is one of those. And specifically, the partnership is to the students that they minister to. And one of those groups are teenage moms and teenage dads. And so our church all through month of August took up diapers and we gave over two thousand diapers to them this past week. Zenobia met them and made that exchange. And I just want to say thank you so much, church, for constantly giving. We're able to do so much in the building as much as outside the building. And so to those that give faithfully every month, thank you. If you're looking for ways to get connected financially, you can do that. Start tithing today. Be able to help us do more. Two more quick announcements. In front of you, you're going to find a QR code on the seat in front of you. That's for you to be able to take your next step. At any point throughout the message, if you'd like to choose to start following Jesus, sign up to be baptized in water. We actually had somebody sign up to be baptized in the first service, and now we got seven getting baptized next week. Come on. Uh, But you can join a small group. You can do anything through that QR code. If you'll scan it, we'll send you kind of a form you can fill out, and then we'll reach out to you personally this week and do our best to answer your questions. Um, Also... We mentioned last week for all of our Dream Team members, the Dreamies, we talked about saving the date October 20th. That's a Friday. It'll be the last time we announce it from the stage. We'll be telling you personally. But uh, if you're here and you're not a part of a Dream Team, our church runs off of our Dream Team. From the moment you walk in the door to dropping off your kids, coffee, production, worship, the entire day that you've experienced has been driven by our incredible Dream Team. And once a year, we get to take a moment and make it all about them, celebrate them. We have a couple here at the church that are so generous. They've given us this beautiful wedding venue that we're going to be able to have a formal banquet, give gifts, uh, just have a great time of vision casting, eat dinner. And so I want to encourage, first of all, all of our Dream Team members, put it on your calendar, October 20th, uh, more details to come. And if you're in here and you're not on a Dream Team, but you say, I want to be a part of the Dreamies, go to Growth Track and join a Dream Team. It's not too late. You can join the Dream Team and be able to hang out with us on that day. Amen? All right, you ready for the word? We are coming to the end of our series, Pray First, where we have been talking about making prayer the first customary concept of our life that no matter what's happening, it's the custom for us to not worry, but to pray. And we even made our tagline, worry about nothing, pray about everything. And it's kind of built it off of Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, which says, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and watch this will be this transaction. And God will take that request from you and then give you supernatural peace that transcends all understanding and guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so in a time where worry and anxiety is high, we thought it was important for you to see that we could actually worry about nothing and pray about everything. So in week one, we talked about when stuff happens, pray first. Week two, we talked about when culture changes, when things around us start to get away from the biblical standard, don't post first, but pray first. And then last week, we talked about when we find ourselves in need, and we talked about not just praying, but but doing the action that comes with prayer. And today, as we bring it to a close, I want to talk to you from this idea, pray first when it becomes boring when it becomes boring. 
I got into a ministry school after college, and this was a really uh, high-energy, extensive concept to kind of get you a headfirst dive into ministry. And along with all of the responsibilities, one of those responsibilities was that early morning, we gathered at 6 a.m. in the chapel, every student, for an hour of prayer. So from 6 to 7, we prayed. And to give you an idea, I was young in my Christian walk. I wasn't very familiar with how to pray. I was kind of learning still how to pray. And we'd walk into this chapel, and to give you an idea of the atmosphere, it's, it's dimly lit. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's warm temperature-wise. There's candles lit. There's that soft piano music. I'm not, I'm not musical, so I can't give you it. But soft piano music. And every kid's walking around, and they're doing that under-the-breath pray, you know, where it's like, And there's just like kids walking everywhere. And so it's the perfect atmosphere to take a nap, right? It's just what it is. It's just great to fall asleep in. And so naturally, uh, I went and found a place on a pew, and I put my head on the wooden part of the pew in front of me with the intention of praying. And I was praying, you know, you know the kind of prayers we pray where we're like, God, just be with me in everything. You know what I mean? Like that prayer, that prayer solves every problem, right? Um, but so, so generic and, and so vague. And, and so I fell asleep. Now, when, when it came time for, when the hour was over and it came time to gather back together, nobody walked in and said, hey, prayer time's up, you know, let's get together. What would happen is the director would go over to the radio or the stereo or the MP3 player, whatever it was, you know, I am old, and uh, the A-track player or whatever, and, and he turned, he just slowly turned down the volume of the music. And if you were praying, that was the cue, and so you'd stop praying, and everybody gathered at the front of the chapel in a circle, and then we prayed for each other's needs, and we finished it up in prayer. But the problem is when you're asleep, and I'm talking about sleep, sleep, right? I wasn't taking a nap. I was like drool coming out sleeping. Uh, the turn down of quiet music doesn't wake you up. And so I slept straight through all of that. And then all of a sudden I felt this violent shake on my shoulder, you know, and I, you know, pulled my eyes open and looked up and I was one of the students and I looked towards the front of the room and all of the students are in a circle and the director's in the middle and they're all looking at me, Right. So I get up, and I've got like the red mark on my forehead, you know, and I just stumble over to prayer, and we pray. And I tell you that because I want you to understand that prayer was never meant to be tepid. The, the, the concept of prayer was never meant to be boring. It was never meant to be vague. It was never meant to be an environment where we felt like, honestly, we could just take a nap in. Um, it was supposed to be specific. Prayer is supposed to be powerful. I even honestly think that prayer... It's supposed to be dangerous. Now, dangerous in a good way, but when you and I make prayer a priority, dangerous things can happen. For example, things that challenge the status quo, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Things that unlock the promises of God. Can you imagine? There are so many promises in the Bible that you and I are not even aware of. But as we pray and seek his word, we find them and we, we unlock them. Even watch this. Prayer, as Philippians 4 told us, prayer can actually lead us to things that transcend our understanding. They build our faith. They go beyond common sense. Prayer can really open the door to some dangerously crazy things. Prayer was never meant to be tepid talking to the alive God, right? Talking to our creator, our savior. Our prayer was never supposed to be, God, just be with me all the days of my life. Our prayer was supposed to be specific and God help me with these things and build my faith and watch the power of God move. 
Now, as we've been studying through the book of Daniel, we've seen some dangerous prayers. A couple weeks ago, we watched Daniel's prayer lead him into the lion's den. We've watched their prayer life, the three Hebrew boys, Daniel, and just kind of take them through different areas. And today is no different as we're going to watch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah be put into what the Bible calls a blazing furnace as a result of their prayer life. So Daniel chapter 3 is where we are. If you want to turn there, you can be on the screen or the app, whatever way you decide. We're going to start reading at verse 15, but I want to give you the context. King Nebuchadnezzar comes out with this idea that he is going to build this huge golden image and that he's going to make a decree that any time music plays, you are supposed to stop what you're doing, get down and worship this golden statue. So he makes this decree and then he says, if you don't do it, you will be killed. Okay. So obviously, as we've learned throughout these weeks, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are men of God. They're, they're praying is their custom. So every morning they wake and they pray. And through this process with their relationship with God, they say, we're not doing that. We're not going to worship this image of gold that you've created, King Nebuchadnezzar. So the news gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where we're going to pick up verse 15. This is Nezi having a conversation with the three boys about what they said. He says, now listen, listen up, boys. When, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all kinds of music. I don't know why he didn't just say all kinds of music. I don't know why we need to go through all of that. He said, but when you hear any kind of music, watch this. If you, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, then we're good. If every time you hear music, you will fall down on your knees, stop what you're doing and worship the image that I've created, then we'll be good. But if you don't, If you choose to not worship the image I've created, watch this, you will then be thrown immediately. Not we'll pray about it, not that we'll discuss about it. I don't want to hear your excuse. You will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace, which according to scripture is so hot that when the men who were bringing them to the furnace got close to it, they were incinerated. All right, that's how hot it was. And watch, watch, watch what uh, Nebuchadnezzar then says. He's kind of mocking God. He says, then what God's going to be able to rescue you from my hand? If you don't worship the image that I'm telling you to worship, I'm going to put you in the blazing furnace to die, and there'll be no God who can rescue you. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to respond, and these dudes are G's, man. Watch this. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this moment. But we will. (laughs) If we're thrown into this blazing furnace, watch this, then the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. The God that we serve is completely able. He has the ability to deliver us. He will, he will, we'll come back to this in a minute. He will deliver us from your hands, majesty. But watch this, even if he doesn't, our God is able to, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship you. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. That's a dangerous prayer, right? Here's what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. I want to talk about how when you and I make prayer a priority in our life, there are some dangerous things that can happen. Good dangerous, but dangerous nonetheless. Number one, when you and I make prayer a priority in our life, the first dangerous thing that can happen is it turns our will into God's will. 
When we begin to make prayer a priority in our life, it'll actually move us in a direction that will allow us to want to give up what we want and embrace what God wants. Now understand, this is a really spiritually mature concept, okay? There's nothing wrong with you wanting a certain thing through prayer. There's nothing wrong with you being upset when you don't get what you want through prayer. That makes sense. What God is saying is that if we will stay focused in prayer and we will draw near to him, we will actually be spiritually transformed to a place where even though we don't get what we want, we are okay with what happens because we trust that God is in control. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3, and let's talk about the boy's response. They say, the God that we serve is able. Everybody say able. able. The God we serve is able. He is completely, every prayer you've ever prayed, God is able to answer that prayer. He's able. They then go on to say, but if he doesn't, and I love this I love this, 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 this pressure and this stress and this context that we're in where they're like, you know what? This road kind of goes two ways. It can go left or it can go right. And I really want it to go left. But if it goes right, it's okay because I trust God. You know what they're, they're saying? Here's what they're really saying. Watch this. They're saying regardless if we go left or we go right, I'm being delivered from your hands. Whether I'm taken out of the furnace or whether we burn to death regardless if we go right or we go left you do not own us this is the mindset of someone who understands the power of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God that even if it's supposed to go left even if I want it to go left and it goes right the fact is God is still in control I don't bow to you. I don't answer to you. I don't worship you. Yeah, it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but my daddy knows better than me, and I trust him no matter what happens. Prayer is what moves us to trust God, watch this, to answer in the way that he chooses, not the way we choose. Only prayer can do that. You're not going to mustard up the intelligence or, or mustered up the humility. Only prayer can move your heart to a place where you are totally okay with God choosing his way instead of your way, especially when it's not your way, right? Can you imagine? I, I, sometimes we kind of just push through this story because we know God saves them in the end, but can you imagine being so close to the furnace you can feel the heat? The Bible said that it had burned up the guards, which means you can smell burning flesh. And now he's saying, if you don't worship, I'm gonna think, there could be a moment of weakness that just goes, okay, hey, we'll just do it for a month and then you know, save our life, right? But they say, no, look, God is able. God could set us free right now. But even if he doesn't, I am, watch this, I am completely ready to burn alive in that furnace before I worship you. Because even if I'm burning in the furnace, God is still in control. What do you do with people who think like that? Remember what Paul said? They were, they were fixing to kill the apostle Paul. And he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's what he was saying. If I live, I get to keep preaching the gospel. If you don't kill me, I'm going to go to the next town and I'm going to talk all about the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And people are going to get saved and mm, in your face, right? But if you kill me, if you cut off my head, I won't be able to preach the gospel, but I'll be walking streets of gold with the one whom the gospel is about. That breaks some. 
teach you a lesson. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right or left, God's still in control. I'll be either going to preach the gospel or I'm going to be with Jesus. You can't scare somebody like that. You can't scare somebody who knows if it's left or if it's right. Watch this. If they die or if they're healed, God's in control. If I have a baby or I can't get pregnant, God's in control. If I find the husband or wife of my dreams or I have to live my life single, God's in control. If I'm popular in high school or not popular in high school, God's in control. What I'm telling you is whether it's left or right, it doesn't matter because God's in control. That's the important part. Let me say it like this. Get a little bit intelligent here. Prayer creates in us both absolute trust and humble dependency. As we begin to make prayer priority, we build inside of us an absolute trust and humble dependency. Therefore, and this is, y'all, this is, I'm talking, this is stake deep. Listen, that means that we can be confident in God and at the same time submissive to his will. Do you catch that? They were confident in God, he can save us. They were submissive to his will, but even if he doesn't. You ever been there? I've been there multiple times. I know God can deliver me. But even if for some reason he chooses not to. We don't get there naturally, y'all. You're never going to get there naturally. We have to be moved by prayer into a thinking like that. We have to be able to present ourselves to Jesus and draw near to God to get to a way that says, I am completely aware of the power of God, but I'm also submissive to the fact that he might not do it. Because then we've understand that we win either way. A few weeks ago, Darla and I decided to go on a date, and uh, I chose to go to Bonefish Grill. Y'all familiar with Bonefish Grill? Uh, I chose Bonefish Grill for two reasons. These are the two reasons every person should choose Bonefish Grill to eat. Number one, they have really good sweet tea, all right? I'm from the South. I drink sugar water. I don't want any of that, you know, fake stuff that people give out. I want real sweet tea, and they have real sweet tea, and it's delicious. Second, they have bread. They have free bread, right? I think every restaurant should give you free bread. That should be in the rules somewhere before you even, if you get a brick and mortar place, you should have bread. Even Mexican restaurants have chips. Come on, help a brother out. You know what I mean? If, if you're a restaurant and you don't serve bread, you're not even a restaurant to me. You shouldn't even be open. You're a, you're a, you're a clothing store. I don't even know why you're open. And so we go to Bonefish Grill. We walk in. And I'm so excited because I'm going to get bread and sweet tea. And we sit down. And the sweet little lady comes up. And she goes, uh, you know, can I take y'all's orders? And I say, I'll have a sweet tea and a water. Darla says she'll have water. Little girl leaves. She comes back. She gives me my tea, my water. Gives Darla her water. And she goes, would y'all like any appetizers? And I said, no, ma'am, we would not like any appetizers. They are all great, but we would like your bread. And she looked at me real funny, and she went, we're out of bread. Yes. <laughs> she, <gasps> she knows me, so she's like, oh, is, is, is Bonefish still alive? Like, is it still open? I was like, why, why are you even having service today? You know what I mean? Like, like, you should have a sign on the door before you disappoint every person in this restaurant. Like, the only reason you're open is because of the bread. Keep your fish. You know what I mean? So why, what, what is happening right now? And literally, y'all, if it wasn't for the fact that we had already been given our drinks, I would have left. I was done with it right then. Like, like Darla's like, do you want to leave? And I was like, I, I do. But since we've already got our drinks, I'll be respectful of that. Look, I, I was flat out depressed, ruined our whole date night. She's trying to talk about vacations coming up and how much she loves me. And I'm like, but they don't have bread. <laughs> like, how could they not have? Chop House is right there. And guess what they got? Bread. bread. I could just get up and walk. I thought about going and getting the bread and just coming back. But I, 
like minutes go by, y'all, like 10, 15 minutes go by, and I start talking about something, and Darla's like, baby, are you talking about the church? I said, no, I'm talking about this bread situation. <laughs> this is still a situation. So then all of a sudden, about, about 15, 20 minutes in, I'm trying to debate, do I get seven appetizers to make up for my disappointment? And I finally arrive at this thought. I go, wait a minute. I'm not eating any bread tonight. And bread comes with carbs and calories. So I was like, if I'm not going to eat any bread tonight, I've got a lot of carbs and calories available. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I can go to Crumble. <laughs> you know what I mean? All of a sudden, I couldn't go to Crumble. In case y'all don't know, that's a cookie place, and they're the size of my head, okay? I said, I couldn't go to Crumble at first because I was going to have too much bread. I was going to have at least two loaf of bread myself. So I can't go to Crumble. But now, now that I can't have the bread, I get to have bread in the shape of a cookie. You know what I mean? And so I realized, watch this, either way it goes, I win. I wanted the bread, but you didn't give me the bread. But that's okay because you didn't give me the bread. I get cookies. If we could view it, I know this is really childish, but if we could view it like that with the Lord. God, I wanted this, but you didn't give it to me. But that's okay. You gave me this, and I trust that this must be better for me. That's the prayer life we're trying to arrive at. God, I really want this, but if you're not going to give it to me, I stand and trust the fact that you love me, and because you love me, you must have something better for me. When we pray, we are actually reminded of God's love, and we're reminded that he's all we need. And when you're reminded the affection of God and the love of God and the fact that God has his best for you and he's planning a good work for you, it's a lot easier for us to be happy with relinquishing our will to his. When you understand the relationship, it's easier to just say, God, your will be done. Y'all ever watched that movie, The Princess Bride? Remember that? And Wesley always said to the prince, he said, as you wish, as you wish. The last time we see him, he's tumbling down the hill, right? As you wish. And this is what relationship with God can be like. My ability to say, as you wish, even while I'm tumbling down the hill, because I know God loves me. I know God has his best for me. And even though I'm speaking to somebody right now, even though you can't understand it here, if you will trust God and understand that he's got something better here and watch this, maybe over here is not better over here to you, but the more you grow in the Lord, the lessons you learn in this process, at some point you'll look back and you'll go, I didn't love it, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because it's grown me in the Lord. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a fully consecrated, someone who is fully consecrated to him. When I read that, here's what I hear. The world has yet to see what God will do with somebody who is completely willing to give up their will for his. Now, please hear my heart. You're always going to struggle with it, but your ability to seek the face of God and be okay with it. God, I really wanted it but I trust you in the direction we're going. So number one, when we pray, one of the first dangerous things that happens is our will begins to turn to God's will. Number two is this, it begins to turn the ungodly in us to godly. Let me explain. Let's go back to Daniel chapter three. I want to show you something that happens in the scripture that if you weren't careful, you just read right over and you missed it. It's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to start reading at verse 20. It says, and King Nebuchadnezzar commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to what? Everybody say, tie tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so tied them up, and then threw them into the burning furnace tied up. Later on, as Nebuchadnezzar sees what's happening and the men are not burning up, he actually says, look, I see four men. They're walking around in the fire, and they're what? 
unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like son of the gods. In other words, the fourth looks like Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The Bible says that when they came out of the fire, that nothing, not one piece of their clothes was burnt. They didn't even smell like fire. But the one thing that the world put on them had been burned off. Everything that was of them, everything that was of God was fine just the way it was. But the one thing that the enemy put on them was gone. When you and I pray, all the things of God in us stay the same. But the things that the world has put on us, fear, shame, abandonment, when we pray, those things are burnt off. Let me say it like this. Prayer changes everything. But what it changes the most is me. Prayer changes everything, but the best thing that it changes is right here. It changes me. When I make prayer a priority, I give God opportunity to give me revelation so that I can see areas in my life that need to change, areas where I can be better. And so I see the selfishness, I see the pride, I see the sin, I see the insecurity. And because I see it, now I can give it to God and he can change it. And when I'm praying, God changes to make me a better husband. When I'm praying, God changes to make me a better father. When I'm praying, God changes to make me a better Christian, a better pastor, a better friend. It's in that time of prayer where God can say, hey, son, I love you. Let's work on this. Hey, son, I love you. Let's work on that. In prayer, the ungodly in us is changed to godly. Some of you came tied up for things that were generations before you, and God said, if you'll seek my face, I'll burn that off too. Some of you, you're tied up with things you were told in high school. You were told by parents. You were told by siblings. You were told in jobs that have tied you up. And God says, if you'll make prayer a priority, I will burn those things off. Now watch, prayer changes me not because prayer is some magical activity, but because prayer connects me to God. And while I'm connected to God, God changes everything. So prayer, it's not the process. It's not, it's not how you do it. It's not how long you do it or when you do it. It's not this, oh, I got to, you know, I got It's not like old PlayStation codes. You got to go up, up, down, CC, over, over. You know what I mean? It's not those kinds of things. It's just a matter of if you will connect to God while you are connected to God, it begins to change you and prayer changes you. Now, depending on how you were raised, when you hear statements like that, you start to imagine God being condemning, mean, pointing out your flaws and your failures and then saying, figure it out or you don't get to join me up here. And I want to do my best to give you a different picture of that. To do that, I have to tell you this. I am a terrible golfer, okay? Never been good. It's, I'm just, I'm horrible at it. You have to have way too much patience and I just don't have the time. But I like to do it occasionally with friends just as I like to be outside and so we will occasionally, now we've found pickleball and there's no reason for golf to exist anymore, Okay. <laughs> just letting you know. But we like to hang out together. It's fun. And here's how it normally looks when I go golfing with my friends. We pull up in the golf cart. Really, the only best thing about it is the golf cart. We pull up in the golf cart. We get out. I pick my club. I go up. I swing. I hit. Ball goes somewhere. I throw the club in the water. I get back in. My friend gets up. He gets his club. He walks over. He hits the ball. The ball goes over that way. He throws a club in the water. This is just our normal routine as we play golf together. And then I realized one day that I actually play a lot better with my father-in-law. We call him Poppy. And then I started to really kind of analyze that, and I figured out, and here's why. When, when I go golfing with Poppy, here's what this looks like. We pull up in our golf cart. 
And I get out of the golf cart and I go around to my golf bag and I go, hey, Poppy, what club should I use? And he'll tell me what club he thinks I should use and I'll take it and I'll walk up and I go up to the tee box and I put the golf ball down and I stand and I go, hey, Poppy, am I, am I standing right? And he'll go, I don't, and he'll go move, move your right foot back a little bit, lean, lean a little bit on that back foot. Poppy, am I, am, I, am I holding the golf club right? And he'll come around me, you know, kind of reach his arms around me and make sure my arm is shifted up to where he wants it and straighten me up a little bit. And say, Poppy, am I, am I good? Can I swing? And he'll go, hold on, he'll back up. And he'll say, look, look at the ball, look at the ball. Go, okay. Well, Poppy, am I, am I ready? Can I swing? He says, yeah, yeah, you're good, swing. And I'll swing, pow, every time I make contact. Gone. Do, do, do. Hits the ground. I'll look at him and go, good shot. We get back in the golf cart. We drive down to where the ball is. I get out of the golf cart. I go, hey, Poppy, what golf club should I get? He'll go, well, it's about 200 yards. Da, da, da. I get my ball. I go back over. I go, Poppy, am I, am I standing all right? And I go, ah, just, just shift your leg a little bit. You know what I've never done? I've never once been mad at what he's doing for me in this moment. I've never once felt condemned by what he's doing for me in this moment. I feel the love he has for me and, and the graciousness in which he's coming up and going, hey, just, just push that foot back a little bit. When you and I make prayer a priority, we are walking into the presence of a loving father, of a gracious God who we can walk up and go, hey, daddy, which club do I need? I'm about to be a dad, which... Which club do I need? I'm about to apply for a new job and set out for my dream. Which club do I need? I'm thinking about getting married and sincere. Which, which club do I need? And then we go into life and we say, Daddy, am I, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And he comes behind us and says, just move, move your foot back just a little bit. There you go. There you go, daughter. There you go, son. Daddy, Daddy, am I doing it right? Just He comes behind you and just so graciously wraps his arms around us and adjusts us to where we need to be because he's so gracious and he's so loving. And he says, there you go. He said, Daddy, am I good now? And he says, swing and swing. And you know it could have been better and you know it wasn't the best, but you looked at him and he goes, good shot, son. Good shot, daughter. The more you and I pray and the more it becomes a priority, the more we learn the heartbeat and the character of God and the less we are concerned about getting in his presence because we'll feel condemned by our mishaps and more we run to his presence to say, I need you. I know I'm not doing it right, but I know that your loving hand and your grace will come over me and help me and guide me. So daddy, can you tell me? Daddy, can you tell me? How am I doing? How am I doing? This can only happen by prayer. If you were taught that this whole religious thing is about you showing up today be, to be told that you suck at this, then guess what? We're done, right? Let's call it a day. Let's move on and go figure out something that we don't suck at. But instead, the presence of God says, you don't have to feel that way. If you will just walk with me and talk with me, I'll come alongside of you. And the things that you have not been able to beat, we will beat together. And I won't do it out of a condemning voice or a condemning spirit, but I will come alongside of you just like a father should. And I'll put my arms around you and I'll help adjust you a little bit until you get it where it's right. And then I'll sit back and applaud as you win. We cannot change ourselves. Please stop trying. 
But as we get closer to God, our sins and our shortcomings are revealed. You can't be in the presence of God without those things starting to come to the top. But don't be ashamed because God doesn't meet those things with condemnation. He meets grace. Now, this is important. It's not grace that looks the other way and pretends like it didn't happen. It's not this, ah, we all do it sometimes. It's a grace that steps in and goes, we don't have to live like this. You are not condemned, but we can change. See what I mean? So number one, as you and I make prayer a priority, our will starts to turn to God's will. Number two, uh, we, we start to, to, the ungodly things in us start to turn godly. And then number three, it begins to turn information into transformation. I got invited to church when I was 17 years old. I had never been to church in my entire life. Never read a Bible verse. I don't even, not even sure I even came across a Christian. But Brian, the guy who was up here with Zenobia, invited me to church and I walked into the youth group on a Wednesday night and all these kids have their hands up and the lights and smoke are going. And I'm like, what kind of cult is this? <laughs> kids are down on their knees worshiping. I'm like, what's wrong with that kid? But it was something about the room. Be honest with you. We played basketball after youth group, so that's what really kept me, all right? Because it was all informational at first. You come in and you sit down and you start to hear all this Here's what the book of Daniel, here's the book of Matthew, and you're just like, okay, I, these thou's darts, I don't even know who these people are, what are we talking about? But I don't know, maybe a year, maybe two later, I got invited to an event they called Discipleship Walk. Brian tricked me to going to that as well. And on the second night, we're in a room, a bunch of men, it's a men-only event, and this older gentleman by the name of Gary Mullins gets up and goes and sits down on a stool and he begins to sing this song called When God Ran. I'm going to play it for you soon. Just you wait. It's a song based off the story of the prodigal son. And it talks about he ran. He ran to me. He took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes, and with forgiveness in his voice, he said, son. There's this little bridge part where it hits and he goes, he called me, I can't sing, he called me son. At that moment, it wasn't information anymore. I didn't care that I didn't know where John was in the Bible. I didn't care that I thought Nebuchadnezzar was a cuss word. <laughs> or that Pharaoh was somebody's name. I had been transformed by the love and grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 3, God delivers these boys from the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar witnesses all this, the most powerful man. 
who just a few minutes before this had said, if you don't worship me, you die. And he witnesses what happens as a result of somebody who's got a prayer priority. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and he says this. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The one who sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied my command and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. He says, therefore, as a result of that, I'm changing my decree and now I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. God's still working on him, okay? (laughs) And their houses be turned into piles of rubber for rubble for no other God can save in this way you know when you pastor a church you get up here every week to do your best to relay information but your heart prays that God will turn it to transformation Because information might bring you back. Transformation makes you never the same. And the truth is that you and I, we could settle for just enough God to get to heaven. We could. Or we can seek God and lean into God and get enough of him that would radically change our lives. And so here's my prayer for you as we close this series. Here's my prayer for you that no longer would you be driven by the information of God, but you would literally experience and walk out the transformation of God. And here's the part that's hard for me, church, is no matter what I do, I can't give that to you. I can preach for another hour, and all of you would leave. But, But until there's a heart in you that just says, God, I'm sick of this, I was always taught it was informational and I went to church and nothing ever happened. Where are you? Or the person that used to have that, right? Used to be on fire for God, but you got caught up in the religious aspects and the logistics and life went happening and now all these things and a prayer didn't get answered or somebody passed away and now because of that you moved into this information where you come, you show up, you sit, you leave, but God's going, we didn't embrace one another. Or maybe it's the person in here, you're on fire for God right now. And that's great. And the prayer today is just put more wood on the fire, God. Do me a favor. Everybody stand with me for a second. How does somebody who was talked into visiting church, tricked into visiting church, we'll play basketball if you'll come listen to this short message, team up with some friends and change his entire life to go plant a church? How does that happen? It's not information, guys. It's not information. It's transformation. I got the privilege last week to have lunch with a couple. They've been coming to Victory now for a little over a month, and they just finished growth track. And I went to lunch with him, and they're engaged to be married. And he told me his story. I told him mine. Very similar, funny enough. 
And he started talking about how he used to be on fire for God at church every time the doors were open, serving, doing all this different stuff. Then he moved away for college. Life kind of happened. And he just kind of walked away from it all. Met the lady that he would end up being engaged to and, and she was interested in, you know, she was, a, she was following God or at least let's just say she was on a spiritual journey of her own. And they started talking to each other, kind of going, we're going we're gonna to do this together. And so the past couple of years, they've just been going to churches, visiting churches. He told this to me. He said, uh, he said, man, it was one of those things where some mornings if we woke up and we were tired, we just went back to bed. He said, we didn't even feel guilty about it. He said, but since we've been coming to victory, he said, I don't really know how to, and he, asked, but he, asked, he, said, he said, I want to thank you for planting victory. And I was so humbled because he doesn't realize that I had nothing to do with this, that the dream team is what built this church. I just the face. But to hear that was so incredible. And he said, man, ever since, he said, I feel that fire again. And here's my favorite part. He said, me, and he named his, his fiance. He said, we got to go out of town this weekend. And he said, I'm mad about it. He said, I'm mad that I got to miss church. Listen, what takes you from all we can sleep in, it's no big deal, to being angry because you're out of town. It's not information. It's transformation. What moves you to transformation? Revelation. And once you have the revelation of God's love and mercy and grace, watch this, the calling and the purpose on your life. Look, you can't just keep coming in and leaving. You come in and go, there's something going on inside of me. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm telling you, if you'll just lean into the presence of God, you'll realize that it's the Spirit of God transforming your lives. Do me a favor. Close your eyes right now. Can we just spend just the next couple of minutes genuinely asking the presence of God to enter into this place? Right now, if you're on fire for God in this place, your prayer is this. God, continue to stalk the fire. Throw wood on the fire. Make me more hungrier. Make me hungrier than I've ever been. If you're in here and there was a time when you used to be on fire, people couldn't contain your zeal. But over time, the logistics, the ministry, reality, you're realizing right now that you've lost that, that excitement, that fire for God. Ask him for it to be fresh, fresh fire. Or if you're in here and you've never experienced it at all, I'm telling you right now, the Bible says if you just ask, if you just ask, you just say, God, I want to experience you right now. Your words, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. God knows your heart. You just put your hands in the air and just say, God, and the presence of God, the transforming presence of God. Father, we give to you right now this opportunity that you would do what only you can do. That the same presence of God that was with those boys in the fire, the same presence of God that was with me that night that Gary sang when God ran, the same presence of God that was with Chris, the same presence of God that's been transforming people's lives and be in this place right now. Come on, would you just begin to receive it? Begin to receive it. Talk to him like he's right in front of you. Just say, God, I need you. God, I want you. You're transforming power. I don't want to play the game anymore. I really want to know you. I really want to experience you. 